Hello and welcome to the Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Harvest is now a very stop-start affair with ripe crops now starting to stack up. However, the weather gives farmers a little bit of a chance to take a breath and look at next year. Oilseed rate prices have rocketed up this year and are now well over 520 euros a tonne. Although the forward prices don't look quite so good, there's still a huge improvement over other years. This has sparked interest to existing growers to continue with the crop and for new growers maybe to try out the crop this year again. Despite the crop being in the ground for nearly 11 months, there are some critical management areas which the grower needs to get correct before planting to ensure a high yielding crop. I'm delighted to be joined by Kieran Collins, a tillage specialist based in Cork, to give us some information on oilseed rape. Kieran, you're very welcome to the Tillage Edge. I first want to ask you, Kieran, around the harvest and how it's going at the moment. Yeah, Michael, I suppose it's very early. Um, I think the next weather window really is when the majority of, of this year's crop will be harvested. But the early reports are definitely promising. Um, you know, just from around the country, anything from, say, 1.75 to over two tonnes. But as I say, that's from a, a kind of a small sample so far. But look, I, th- I think it's promising looking anyway, you know. Um, in terms of this year's crop, I suppose... One of the, I suppose, the main feature really this year was most growers kind of got in on time. And, you know, I think the, the winter was relatively kind to rape in the sense we didn't have a lot of uh, pigeon grazing, which can often set crops back in the spring. And I suppose then we had a very long flowering period there, you know, in in um, March and April and, and, and into May there, uh, which actually coincided with some of the frosts. But it appears that you know, the rape just produced enough flowers, you know, and that the frost didn't appear to have any major impact, we think anyway, you know. Okay, okay. So when we switch down and we, we, we start looking already, I suppose, to next year's crop, um, the prices, I suppose, are, are pretty optimistic, certainly for this harvest. How are the prices looking going forward and how does that reflect back onto the margins? Yeah, I think, Michael, there's there's good interest from growers in rape, and I suppose maybe there's a few reasons for One is, as you said, the forward prices look uh, favourable. I mean, it's hard to, to get the, an exact figure, but you're certainly looking in excess of, of 400 at the moment, maybe up to 420, 430 possibly. Uh, which obviously is 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 a big benefit. Uh, the fact that winter barley fields are cleared, I think, is another major advantage as well. Because often, you know, we can get bad weather and straw can can be in the way and stuff. So I think, I think those two factors, you know, uh, are going to impact on on the area grown, which you would expect to increase. So um, I suppose the one negative maybe from last year is the price of fertilizer and particularly nitrogen, obviously, which. We would be using a lot of enraves, so that that looks like it's going to be a good bit more expensive. So that will eat into the margin, but I suppose rape will be competitive with other crops. Certainly, will be very very competitive. Just a kind of provisional margins that we're looking at a five ton crop had been around seven seventy euros per per hectare. So that would be up a good bit on last year, you know. And I suppose then there is the knock on benefit in the in the following crops as well from you know from the benefit of of a break crop in the rotation, you know. Yeah, more more than just the one year, as they say. So then, when when, when growers are looking at um, the varieties that are going to choose uh, this year, is there any particular traits that a, a farmer should be looking out for? 
Well, I suppose there's, there's a couple of crucial things. Obviously, your first port of call is always the Department of Agriculture recommended list because they are varieties, you know, on the list that have been grown in Irish conditions. And that's that's very important because we know from cereals and oilseed rape in the past that often ratings in the UK don't necessarily travel very well. So that's the first port of call. Having said that, the two... Um, fully recommended varieties on the recommended list. Uh, there, Anastasia and Aquila, there, there's limited seed available there, you know. So people will be looking a bit deeper. So DK expansions provisionally recommended. Um, so there's there's a good bit of information there on, on that. And I suppose after that, really, in terms of, of qualities that you're looking for in varieties, look, if there's any other yield information available, which there would be, because some of the varieties available are in sort of in, in undervaluation. But good life, leaf spot resistance is also hugely important, especially in, you know, in our climate. And I think pod shatter resistance also is a, is a, is a valuable trait to, to watch out for. And maybe just to mention clear field, because there may be certain scenarios where people have maybe not grown rape in the past because of brassica problems in the field, but clear field is obviously um, something to look at in those situations. Okay. So yeah, yeah I suppose you, you really have a limited list, I suppose, from the department, but from what I read uh, and make out, there's an awful lot of other varieties there that are available. You mentioned that some of the information possibly from other countries, as in the UK, is, is should be taken with a pinch of salt, should it? Or, or how should a grower view some of that information? Um, I, I, no, I think the information is useful. It certainly is, you know, particularly, I suppose, in relation to disease and that, you know, um, but I suppose yield and can vary, you know, in different conditions. So, you know, the climate in, in Cork or Meath can be quite different to maybe the south of, of England or where, where some of those trials are carried out. So I suppose you, you, you certainly would look at the when you're looking at, you know, whether it's the HDB list or that, you, you certainly would try and, you know, compare them with, with varieties that you'd be familiar with and where they, they rank with those varieties, I suppose, really. That would be the crucial one. But to be fair on the department list, there are most of the, a good few of the varieties that are on the market this year are actually in the system. So you, you, you will pick up some yield information there as well, which should be, which should be very useful. Okay. Okay. So you, you mentioned back a little bit before about uh, nitrogen and the, and, and the cost of nitrogen has gone up a bit. I suppose that maybe works in a little bit to the next question, which is around sowing date. And what would you think is the ideal sowing date or how much maybe it does it vary between me than cork even as, as as the end of that question yeah i suppose we, we would generally say the optimum sowing date is in, in around mid-august but it's certainly you know i suppose further south you know you can certainly push that into the last days of august into early september people have successfully established crops and that and i suppose like you said in relation to nitrogen you know we, we are trying to establish that big canopy um, to survive the winter, and I suppose more importantly, to survive pigeon grazing in the spring, you know, and obviously when you have late sowing, you, do, you just don't get the, the, um, the temperatures to develop that canopy and, you know, crops can be subject to pigeon grazing and, you know, you, you end up spending a lot more nitrogen to make up the ground. So I suppose what you really want the crop to do, you know, is to, to pull enough, pull as much nitrogen as possible from the soil and sowing date, is a big influence on that. So I would say, Michael, 
probably for, for growers in the north of the country, probably, you know, from mid-August on, with a little bit more flexibility the further south you go. But certainly once you start getting into September, you know, you, you, you're on risky territory after that, really. I suppose, you, Karen, I suppose really what you're saying is that it's, a, it's an August own crop really in, in, in most circumstances. And, and just on that, can you sow it too early? You, you can. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you can build this big canopy, you know, if you sow it, say, today, you know, you will build a big canopy, but then it gets becomes difficult to manage, you know, uh, particularly in terms of, of, of disease and that you've, you've early flowering very early in the spring and that as well. So, you know, um, there, 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 is a, there is a balance to be struck there. And I would say from, from kind of mid-August generally would be, the, would be ideal for growers. So there, there's a little bit, I suppose, of, of, of growers out there this year following on from the straw chopping scheme. And they might be considering putting in the rape into those fields. Is there any considerations which should be factored into planting into fields like that? Yeah, there, there certainly are, I suppose. Generally speaking, I suppose winter oilseed rape would follow winter barley. So, and I suppose winter barley is probably the least likely crop that would have been chopped. But, you know, certainly there may have been situations where where, where it may have occurred. So, look, obviously the, the principles of good chopping and, and, a, and, a, and good spreading are, are essential because that makes the straw um, more easily worked into the soil. Um, I, I think from, you know, one, one of the crucial things, if, if there is a good volume of straw on the surface, you know, um, that can inhibit germination if, if, if it's too near the surface. So maybe working at a slightly greater depth may help in situations where uh, the straw volume is high to distribute that, that straw in a, in a larger layer of the soil, which obviously will mean that you'll have less maybe near the, the surface when, when, when seeds are emerging. So that would be so, certainly one of the considerations, I would think. Okay. And would, you, would, would slugs, do you think, be any sort of a consideration there, given all yeah, the straws there, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Look, chopping straws is, you know, is, is our, you know, certainly a factor in terms of increased slug numbers. Um, look, rolling. Um, and, and again, I suppose monitoring for slugs with, with traps and that, which I think we should do, you know, with rape anyway, you know, because obviously, you know, slug, rape is susceptible to, to slug damage. So I think look at those situations, most good vigilance with maybe slug traps and that just to monitor what way things are going. Okay. And, and moving on then to actually getting the, getting, getting the rape into the ground in terms of the establishment method whether it's you know conventional or mintill or strip till or direct drill or whatever, does it really make much difference in terms of the establishment method and um, also kind of the width of rows, if you like, as well, that, that might be associated with those different establishment methods? Yeah, I, I suppose it's often tempting to use um, the likes of mintill or strip till because we're, you know, the farmers are often trying to balance harvesting grain and baling straw when in that mid to end of August period when we're trying to sow rape. So a quick method is often favoured. Now, research from Oak Park would have shown where they used plough-based mintill and strip-till uh, and even subsoil or leg, that all of those systems are capable of, of delivering high yields. Um, however, establishment can vary. Um, and I suppose, 
you know, the plough is probably um, the most reliable, but all systems can can deliver deliver good yields. Um, in that same trial, actually, Michael, row widths, um, you know, up to 500, 600 mils didn't hinder uh, yield potential in most of the trials. It's only when you went uh, wider than that, that, that you know, that it started to, um, to have an impact really, you know. And I suppose one consideration I would think is... Um, you know, if you feel that there that there is a level of compaction in the field, that there those types of fields probably aren't overly suited to shallow or mintil cultivation systems, really. And maybe a plough might be the best in you know where 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 you do have compaction issues. And I, I suppose really on that, it's probably as much to do with the uh, making sure you have a good fine seed bed for that little small seed to make sure it, it kind of gets up and gets established. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and rolling is crucial for that seed to soil contact and also the fine seed bed if you're, you know, looking at a pre-emergence herbicide as well is very, very important. Okay. Is there is there an ideal seeding rate, um, Kieran? I suppose really what you're looking for is a target population in the spring, say of 30, 40 plants per square meter, just, you know, and you want them evenly spaced across the field. And like that type of population allows for branching and it allows for sufficient light to get down to the base of the canopy and, you know, to maximize pod numbers. That's, that's the ultimate goal. Um, older research that was done in Oak Park would have suggested sort of 60 to 80 seeds, but from those trials that have been done, it would seem that lower seed rates in around 50 seeds per square meter in good conditions, uh, you know, will will give um, very good yields, you know, and I suppose, again, once they're evenly distributed is, is, is obviously a key factor there. And I suppose one thing to note, you know, while we're talking about maybe ideal sowing date, you know, certainly if sowing gets later, you know, and you're looking into September or maybe conditions aren't ideal, well, certainly in those situations that it might be wise to increase the, the seed rate maybe there by maybe up to 60 seeds per square meter in those situations. Okay. And is the, you mentioned that kind of 30 to 40 plants in the spring per meter squared, does that take into account potential grazing from pigeons? Yeah, that, that'd be evenly distributed now. You know, that's 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 what you'd be looking for. Once those plants are evenly distributed, even lower than 30 plants, you know, the the the, the um, you know, with early nitrogen and that those plants can recover, you know, branch and give very, very good yields, you know. Okay. So I think rape has a great ability to compensate, but that even distribution is obviously crucial, really. Is there is there more seed needed in some of the non-conventional establishment systems um due to you know they're non they're non-conventional i suppose yeah it's 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 a good question because i suppose this, the establishment percentage would tend to be lower we'll say with strip till or especially you know something like the subsoil or like it probably isn't as much of that use now as there was before but certainly with strip till the establishment percentage would 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 be a little bit lower so again you know, you might be talking about increasing, you know, seed rates slightly there in 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 those situations. But again, you know, um, seedbed conditions would be would be a big uh, factor in all of that. Again, okay, I suppose that probably probably drives on. I suppose to the next question, which is kind of around pests. Is there is there any kind of pests that are a particular issue the grower should be looking out for in that very early establishment phase when when um, seed rape is a bit delicate. Oh yeah, I mean we've we've spoken about slugs already, you know, and uh, especially in the wet season, you know, um, slugs will 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 graze out, um, you know, and and can cause a lot of damage. So again, I suppose as we said previously, 
monitoring is key there using the slug traps you know with a bait like maybe chicken muesli or something and doing your doing your check 24 hours later to see if, if if a threshold has been reached and look some fields are more susceptible to slug damage than others and farmers will know that on their own farm you know so slugs are certainly number one i suppose the other one to keep an eye on is is cabbage stem flea beetle you know it's a serious pestivile seed rape in the UK and has caused um, the area to collapse over there. Um, I suppose we've been fortunate enough, possibly due to, you know, the, the, the low area that we have in Ireland. It hasn't really been an issue. We've had some isolated cases, but it, it hasn't been a big issue for, for us here. But again, it's just something to, to, to watch out for those, those typical shot holes that you, you find in the leaves, you know. And I suppose, you know, when we had the neonicotides, you know, we had the treatment on the seed. So it wasn't a big concern. But obviously, since that's gone now, we, we, we just need to be vigilant there on that one. And how far along, Kieran, uh, you know, is there a really susceptible phase? Are you trying to get it to the two to three pairs of true leaves or is, is, is you need to keep an eye on for a bit longer than that? You are really. Once you get to that stage, um, you know, the crop's ability to, to, to survive is, 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 is much better, really. I suppose the, the, the thresholds are much lower, obviously, at, you know, when the plant is at, at cut leaving stage and that, you know. Okay. So obviously there's another consideration there in it uh, as well in terms of weed control. Um, there's... I suppose different ways of going about it, starting from kind of pre-emerge before the crop comes up all the way up to a little bit later on. Do you have a view as regards which is the best way to go or is it a bit more farmer or field specific? I think it is really, um, you know, I suppose the pre-emergence, the pre-emergence herbicide, you know, with um, metazoclor, which would be like the catamaran turbo or um, legion butes and those type products do offer a very good broadleaf weed spectrum, you know. Um, however, you know, I think, as you said, it's probably a strategy, really, that that, that, that people need to, to take because grass weeds, which, you know, whether it's volunteer cereals or the, your bromes or, 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 or other grass weeds, they, that will be a post-emergence application anyway. And I think, really, it's, it's field-specific after that. If you can get the pre-emergence out, it generally, in most cases, will 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 look after your um, your 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 broadleaf weed problems. You know, um, I suppose just in terms of an example, like we'd say the likes of chickweed or or speedwell. Now they're they're two that you really would need to get in with with, with a pre-em. But then if you take something like fumatory, you know, we've got Belcar now, which is a really good post-emergence product, which is very strong on fumatory. So again, I suppose you're you're using your field history and your knowledge really. To, to devise the program, I suppose, really, you know. So guys really need to, to get out the records and um, have a good look at those uh, before they decide on which way to go. I, I think so, but certainly the pre-M is, is probably going to give you the broader spectrum of broadleaf weed control. Obviously, the grass weeds will, will come after generally. Okay. The last question, Kieran, I just want to, to, to maybe you might touch upon is, is around... Um, is there any need to apply fertilizer, um, NP or K, if you like, before the, or maybe even shortly after the, the, the crop comes up? Mm. Um, I suppose there's a couple of things on that. Obviously, phosphorus is very important for establishment. And particularly, you know, if, if you are late sown, that's, that's, that's a big factor there. So I think, you know, giving the crop requirements based on the soil test of, 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 of P and K, obviously, um, 
it is worth doing in the autumn if if you can do it, you know. Um, in terms of, of of nitrogen, you know, there's generally enough nitrogen in the soil to to establish oilseed rape. Having said that, um, oil, winter oilseed rape is probably the best crop to utilize organic manure. So, you know, you can very easily provide your, your P and K requirement in the autumn through organic manures. Obviously, you're going to be putting out an element of, of, of nitrogen there, but of all crops, you know, oilseed rape is very efficient at utilizing that, that, that uh, nitrogen in the organic manures. And I suppose, again, we started off by saying, you know, we're talking about the higher nitrogen prices. If you can use that organic manure, you know, to build a canopy, you know, your overall nitrogen requirement over the whole season will be much less so the organic manure certainly have a place if if people can get them out on crops michael so are you saying that that oilseed rape is is one of the few crops or perhaps maybe the only crop that can actually build nitrogen in the spring so that you don't have to apply that same nitrogen or build nitrogen in the autumn i should say so you don't have to replace that nitrogen in the spring yeah, absolutely. You know, we're looking for a target green area index of three there at the at the start of flowering. And, you know, oilseed rape can utilize that soil nitrogen to do that with the, the, the consequence then of, of using less total nitrogen. It, this is obviously not something that, that would happen with cereals. I suppose as long as the pigeons again don't don't go near it and, and, and leave it all free there in the springtime is the main Absolutely. One. Well, well, the best way to keep pigeons out is, is having a big canopy in the spring, I think, anyway. Kieran, that's great. It, that's a it's a really good um, and pretty concise uh, piece of information to to get guys up and growing and uh, thinking about uh, putting in oilseed rape over the next few days and and, and maybe a couple of weeks. Hopefully, they'll have a, they'll have it all sorted out in the tractor cab and um, they can have it all all in by mid uh, August. Thanks very much again, Kieran. All right, thank you, Michael. So that's it for the tillage edge, and my thanks to Kieran for joining me today. I have mentioned farm safety for the past few weeks and I think it's worth mentioning it again, especially as children are still on their holidays and are always potentially closer to operations than you might like. It's a busy time and tiredness following long working hours can allow slip-ups in safety awareness, potentially resulting in mistakes and accidents. So take regular breaks and keep safety for yourself, your loved ones and your employees to the forefront of your mind. So finally, don't forget, if you like this podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.